as I mentioned, last week we started this series called I Heart, uh, basically asking the question, uh, what does it mean for you and me to see the world as Jesus does? What does it mean for you and me to have the eyes uh, like God? And I challenge you to pray this prayer. I challenge you to pray, God, give me a heart like yours. Uh, Show me how to love people as you love people. And as you prayed that prayer with us last week, I hope that you'll continue praying that prayer even today. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about certain loves that I believe are critical for us as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, to love our church and and what it means to love this community that we live in, uh, what it means to love your neighbor, to to show Christ's love to those uh, that are living around us. Uh, last week we talked, we looked at uh, Second Kings together, and, and if you remember our key verse that came right out of this Old Testament historical book, uh, the story was the people of Israel were starving, and four men, four lepers to be exact, ha- had wandered out of the camp and, and come across all of this food, all of these resources, enough to feed the entire city, and they could have kept it all for themselves. But they weren't willing to do that. Look at their response in 2 Kings 7 verse 9. It says, then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. This is a day of great news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. And what did they do? They went back to the city and the news was proclaimed all throughout the streets. I mean, what a great reminder to you and and me that this is a day of good news. That you and I can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And why would we keep that message to ourselves? Why would we dare keep that message a secret? You know, I have to tell you that of all of my Sundays uh, at Genesis Church, last week was one of my most favorites. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but after our second service last week, we lost power to the building. One of the transformers went down, and it's not real bright in here when the lights aren't on, and, and even when the lights are on. But we, we, we took all of these chairs, many of these chairs, and moved them out to the cafe, and we had a great time of worship out in the cafe together. And so it was a great morning uh, with our third service crowd. And then that afternoon, many of you gathered with us at Forest Park, several hundred people uh, that came and braved the heat and ate a little fried chicken. But most importantly, 35 people demonstrated that they've been changed forever through baptism. We want to show you a little review of that. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Here's what it says. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, And his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, Jesus said, come follow me. Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Now, although fishermen by trade, uh, Peter and Andrew took Jesus' words seriously here. They took his challenge seriously. Jesus was basically saying, hey guys, I I understand your skills and your preoccupation with catching fish, but I've got an idea for you. I've got a thought for you. Just hear me out on this. If you'll trust me, uh, if you'll follow me and really try and understand who I am and what I'm about and what it is that I'm calling you to, then you'll do something else than just catch fish. You'll do something else with these uh, excellent fishing skills that you have. I mean, believe me, what I have in mind for you has greater significance than simply catching fish. Now, Jesus wasn't taking a cheap shot at the fishing business here. He wasn't taking a cheap shot uh, of other similar trades in the ancient world. But I think the point that Jesus is trying to emphasize here with Peter and Andrew, with you and me today, is this, that of all the things that you could do with your life, uh, of all of the jobs that you could seek, uh, all the goals that you could go about achieving, for everything that you could consider ever establishing or accomplishing with your life and with your family, that nothing in all of this world will ever surpass or even come close to the real joy that's found in helping someone else discover a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
That, that's what Jesus is saying, that helping people find their way back to God. And in this situation, Jesus is making it clear from the very beginning that a central call on the life of the disciples for you and me and for this church would be to help people find their way back to God. It's a primary part of what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. Now, as Jesus called Andrew and, and Peter and others, he's called you and I to do the same. Fishers of men, as Jesus called it, we say helping people find the way back to God. And again, that's the life that God has in mind for, for each of us. It's a life that demonstrates that people matter to God. And it's where we realize that there's nothing else in this world. There's nothing at all like helping your mom or your dad, your brother or your sister, a son or a daughter, a family friend or a neighbor, discover what it means to be loved by God and that we can have a relationship with him. I mean, is helping people find their way back to God a mission of your life? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can you say, yes, this is a mission on my life? It's important that you understand that this is the mission of our church. But, but if you call this your church, then that mission is your mission too. Uh, it's a mission given to us by God. It's ordained in his word, but, but, but it's a part of being this church. It's saying, you know, because this is the mission of my church, it's my mission too. It's helping people find their way back to God. Now, now this morning, I want to help you think a little more practically about what it means to do that. Because we talk a lot about helping people find their way back to God, but I understand that that can be frustrating for some of you as you say, okay, hey, I get it, that's great and all, but what does that look like this afternoon? You know, what does that look like tomorrow morning when I punch the clock and walk back in, you know, into my office? You know, last week we talked about the importance of loving our church, and, and if you love your church and you love what's happening here, then why would you keep that a secret? I mean, why wouldn't you want to invite others to be a part of what God's doing here today I want to talk to you about what it means uh, when Jesus says to love your neighbor. What that means for you and me. You know, Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he had a lot to say about Christians and how we go about influencing and living our lives alongside of people like our neighbors. And, and it doesn't take long before we can conclude that if you're taking notes, you can write this down again, that following Jesus means that I love my neighbor. That if I'm going to claim Christ, if I'm going to call him my own, and know his love and seek to live the way that Jesus lived, it means that I, that I love my neighbor. You know, that I'm willing to be used by God to even influence those who live around me. Um, because people matter to God. My neighbors or those living in proximity to me, um, they, they, they need to matter me, to me too. But do you know who is the greatest neighbor of all time? Well, it was Jesus. But, but second, do you know who the second greatest neighbor of all time is this guy? Yeah. We all love Mr. Rogers, right, uh, for his cardigan sweaters and uh, uh, his, his really nice and clean shoes. You know, Mr. Rogers engaged his audiences with this great value, this great message of, of love. And, and those who knew him best said that he was always the kind of person that made you feel like the most important person in the room. Uh, he was a good neighbor. He talked about it on TV, but he lived it in his life, too. But let me tell you about another neighbor, uh, another neighborhood. There was an article in the Chicago Tribune several years ago. And it's the story about one neighborhood in Chicago and one neighbor by the name of Adolf Steck. Let me read this for you. It says, for the past four years, many of Adolf Steck's neighbors figured the, rec the reclusive elderly man had abandoned his neatly trimmed bungalow to the growing weeds and bushes. Over time, his water, his gas, electricity were all shut off. And for years, the mailman bypassed his residence thinking it was vacant. Once in a while, a neighbor would mow the lawn, knock on the door, and receive no answer. 
But it wasn't until Tuesday morning that the developers who bought Steck's home at a tax auction three years ago finally stepped into the home to find a man's body almost completely decomposed in a living room chair. A newspaper from four years ago at his side, police described the remains as mummified. One day about four years ago, he said hello from across the yard and I never saw him again, said next door neighbor Peter Vela as he was cutting his front lawn Wednesday afternoon. The grass in his yard got as high as two feet, so for two or three years I mowed his two. I didn't want the neighborhood to go to pot. For now, it's unclear exactly when he died or the cause of death. Police say their only leads are the newspapers and mail in Steck's home that appeared to be over four years old. Steck was 72 years of age. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty terribly sad story. And do you know what makes it even worse? That this same year, another man in Chicago died and his remains weren't discovered for a few weeks after his death. His name was Richard Richard Engelbrook. And do you know where he lived? Next door to Adolf Steck. Same neighborhood, same situation, similar story. It happened twice on the same street in the same year. You know, I I guess you could say that both men died from natural causes. But unfortunately, uh, the way that they die, the isolation and the loneliness... Well, it's very unnatural and very unfortunate. In a recent study, George Gallup Jr. described Americans as the loneliest people living on the planet today. Can you believe that? That even with two-thirds of the U.S. population living in suburbs today, meaning close together, loneliness is described as this growing epidemic in America. One study indicated that one in four people say that they have no one to talk to about the important matters of life. Another 20% said they only feel like they've got one person they can talk to. That means that almost half of the people living in our country today either have no one to talk to or maybe just one person that they feel like they can share their life with. Now, why all of the loneliness uh, in America today? Well, I think there's one culprit. Um, We can call it a garage door opener. And uh, many of you have got one of these, and you've seen it before. Um, I see it all the time. I'm guilty of it, too. It's so easy to pull into the driveway, hit the garage door button, pull in the garage, shut the door behind you, uh, go on inside. And if you're going to go outside, you go out in the backyard, you sit on your deck, and maybe, if possible, behind your privacy fence. And that's about how we go about living our lives. Now, we love our privacy. Uh, I, I like my privacy. I think there's definitely a time for it. But unfortunately, our desire for privacy can keep us very isolated. And add to that the tendency that we have to live these habitual, busy lives, always on the run from one game or one program to another. And even our busyness can contribute to our isolation or maybe someone else's. Uh, Marla Paul is a syndicated columnist with a major newspaper. And in one recent article, she made a confession uh, that she is a very lonely person. Uh, She notes that she got seven times the amount of mail she normally does for a column, more than ever before. The predominant response that she got from people like stay-at-home moms and even CEOs of companies was, me too, I'm lonely just like you. You hit the mark. Now I wonder how many people live around you and me right now, maybe on your street, in your dorm, uh, whether it be the mom in a house next to you, uh, the young couple in the apartment next door, or maybe someone that you share a dorm room with, or even a guy in the cube next to you at work, um, how many of them are dying right now? Now, maybe not in a way, hopefully, that somebody like Adolf Steck is dying, but they're dying financially, 
or maybe husband and wife as they grow apart, their marriage is dying. Or the young kid or the student that doesn't have anyone that's pouring into them or really giving them any quality time uh, that they're dying. Uh, what, what about a lack of eternal hope? You know, that some of the people that we live closest to, whether they realize it or not, you know, three years ago, um, God called my wife and I, my family, to Noblesville, Indiana, from Louisville, Kentucky. And we were really excited because we've been praying for a move like that. And we feel very humbled to be here and uh, hope to be here for a really, really, really long time. You know, finish out here. And uh, we, we just believe that God has called us to Genesis Church and this is a part of our ministry. But do you know what? Uh, we believe that God called us to our street too. Or at least we're trying to understand that we're trying to embrace that as the call that God has on our life. That God is great enough, that he is smart enough, that he is sovereign enough. That while he had in mind for us this church and this family, that he had the street that we live on in mind for us too. And that part of my ministry and part of my wife's ministry and part of my kids' ministry is to be available to reach out to even help our neighbors find their way back to God. And you know what I'm crazy enough to believe? that I believe that God had in mind your street, your neighborhood, and where you work, the people that you spend time with, that he had them in mind for you too, and he had them in mind for a reason. I mean, where you live, it's not by accident. I mean, God has you are where you are right now for a reason. And for some of you today, part of you discovering your role or God's purpose and plan for your life as a follower of Jesus Christ is acknowledging this, that God indeed has a plan. And part of his plan for you is that you go about sharing his message and his love and influencing others with your life and with your hope. Again, part of it is just asking God, God, give me a heart like yours. Help me to see the world as you see the world. Help me to love as you love because people matter to God and because... uh, Uh, They matter to me too. You know, we pray, God, give me a heart to love my neighbors. God, give me a heart and a mind to see those people around me and how I can best influence them. Now, now for those of you that that really want to grow in this area, really grow in a passion for helping people find their way back to God, um, I can't think of a better place to tell you to start than to start thinking about your neighborhood to think about the people that you live around or that you're doing life with every day. I I mean, and I know that when we talk about something like this and we talk about something like sharing your faith and life with others, that there's a whole bunch of images that might come into your mind. And it might be the guy screaming into the bullhorn, you know, on your college campus. Or it might be some really sweaty preacher on TV, you know, that's getting a little too excited. Or, Or unfortunately, it might be somebody that got in your face at one point and told you how awful you were you know, for some of the decisions that you were making. I want you to try and set all of those perceptions aside. To put all of those aside because they weren't right. But here's what I think and here's what I know and here's what I believe in and I want to encourage you with today. If you're going to impact your world for Christ, if you're going to share this message of love and hope with others, if you're going to influence others, the most effective approach for reaching others today, I believe, is through relationships and friendships, genuine relationships and friendships with those around you uh, who who need to be reached. And it will mean you getting close to others so that they are able to see that you genuinely care about them individually and have their very best interests at heart. It's about earning their trust. It's about earning respect. And so today, I want to challenge you to love your neighbors. I want to challenge you to think about how you interact with them, those in your neighborhood, those you do life with, those that you and I are called to influence, you know, because to believe that that God has put you where you are, in in your context, in your job, whatever that may be, to believe that he put you there for a reason and through your efforts and through your prayers 
and through your sacrifice and your awareness that you might be able to share the love of Christ with others. But remember, relationships are the key. It has to begin with relationships. It has to begin with a genuine effort that we put forward to build friendships with those around us. So what does that look like? Uh, how, how do we make that happen? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to just give you a few, five to be uh, exact. It's not a complete list. Um, five practical things that you can begin doing even this afternoon as you walk out of here and as you go home. Or, or five things that you can put to the test as you go to work t- tomorrow. And I've tried to be as practical as possible in this. And, and again, because I can see how easy it is for us to say, hey, go help people find your, their way back to God. And you're like, well, I don't know what that looks like. I mean, what does that mean? What am I supposed to do with that? Or, or we might say, you know what? Go and invite somebody to church. Go invite your neighbor to church. But you're like, I don't even have a relationship with them. And so what right do I have to just kind of step into their world and say, hey, I know I don't know you, but, but you want to come to church with me, you know, on Sunday? I mean, that, that's a little weird in a day like today. And so, so what's the basis? Again, what does the relationship look like? How can we begin investing in the people around us so that we can influence them and maybe God can do greater things with a relationship with like this? So what, what does it look like? Real practical steps. Um, what are some things you can begin doing even as you leave today? And, and again, you might have to use your imagination here because you might live in the country, all right? And so your neighbor might live three miles away, or, um, you know, you might not live in a traditional neighborhood. So let's just all use our imaginations here, even though I'm putting this in a context of our neighborhood. Uh, Five things, five practical ways that you can help people find their way back to God, building relationships for the sake of sharing Christ with others. The first one is this. Take, write this down in your notes. Live in the front yard. Live in the front yard. You know, it's so easy to pull up to the garage and shut the door, isn't it? You know, Pastor Randy Frazee is a popular writer and pastor. He wrote a book where he talked about what started happening on his street when he and his wife made an intentional decision to start hanging out in the front yard at night. And they moved from the backyard and they took their chairs and they just started sitting and hanging out in the front yard. And they encouraged their kids to do the same. And, and nothing changed immediately. But he just said it was amazing what started happening over time as they spent time in the front yard and what was used to be an occasional wave to a neighbor as they were driving by meant that they would pull in the driveway and then start crossing yards and start crossing streets to talk to one another. And again, he just cites this as the beginning of the importance of these relationships that started happening in the neighborhood. And it started with he and his wife and their willingness to start living in the front yard. Uh, Do you want to get started in building a relationship uh, with others for the sake of Jesus Christ? I mean, do you want to build those important relationships, those kinds of relationships that may lead to more significant conversations later on? Here's a bright idea. Live in the front yard. Make yourself accessible to others, to those around you. Like you want to see them, you want to meet them, you want to get to know them. Uh, Make it a goal to know every person that lives on your street and to know the names of every person that lives in every house. And, And if you have to, create a cheat sheet. You know, just start writing them down on a piece of paper so that you can remember and remember their names. And, and, and I think with some and not with everyone, you know, what you might discover as you build these relationships is this the same thing that you're looking for too. Uh, it's genuine relationships. Again, if people are lonely and that's what the stats say, uh, you might be surprised at what you find. Uh, again, thinking about relationships, the second thing is uh, as you start conversations with your neighbors, with those around you, ask questions and then listen. Ask questions and then listen. You know, we're we're putting a priority on relationships here, so don't forget that it takes time. Uh, It's going to take time for these to happen. It's so easy, though, to get stuck asking these superficial questions. I mean, we do it all the time, right? Hey, how's it going? How are you? You have a good day? I mean, we, we don't only do it with our neighbors. We do it here, too, on a Sunday morning. You know, I'm guilty of it. 
You know, we, we ask these superficial questions and we're lucky if the conversation lasts five minutes. But remember, it's about relationships. If we're going to share Christ with others, we've got to take the time to invest in the relationship. And so I want to challenge you to think about, you know, investing in the people around you. Take the time that's necessary to really get to know and to build relationships with your neighbors. And, and if you want this and you're ready to be used by God, you know, consider asking questions that may lead to some greater conversations. You know, instead of saying, hey, how are you? You know, when, when your neighbor crosses the yard and it appears like he's got some time to talk, I mean, you might ask him, you know, hey, how are things going at work right now? I, I know that you mentioned that you had a big project, you know, last week. How, how did that work out for you? Or, or you had said before that there's kind of some frightening things going on there and they're maybe talking about making some moves. Um, What's happening? How, how's that affecting you? How are you and, and your spouse feeling about that right now? You know, you know ask questions like these, you know, and, and be genuine, though. You know, be genuine in your asking, you know, and, and maybe it leads to a point at some, some time where you're able to say, hey, um, are you guys doing anything Sunday? Would you like to attend church with, with my family? Or, hey, can I pray for you about that? I realize that that's quite a struggle. That'd be hard for us, too. Can I pray for you uh, in that? And when you ask the questions... Uh, here's a key and this is this is magic listen you know make sure that when you ask these questions you listen i mean we do a great job of talking but we could all do a little work on the listening part um i love when people ask me questions and then listen what drives me crazy is when people ask questions and they're not listening and you can tell have you ever done that i'm so afraid that i'm guilty of that once in a while but uh but really listening i mean you can do that for someone else i mean real questions communicate that you care and that you're listening and, and, and listening will we'll do even more. So, again, still building relationships here. The third thing is this, ask for help. You know, don't be afraid to ask for help. Here's what I mean by this. If you're like me, um, it's easy for me or easier for me to reach out and to help others in the neighborhood, but it's not as easy to ask for help. Uh, I don't always do a good job of this, but I think it can do a lot for a growing relationship if we'll show some confidence in those that are living around us. It's kind of like this. Uh, back a few weeks ago, my family, we went on vacation, and I'm a bit of a yard guy, uh, at least until Jan- or July rolls around, and then it, when it quits raining, it doesn't really matter anymore. But I had timed out what I thought perfectly to mow my yard the night before we were supposed to leave on vacation. But wouldn't you know, the night before we left, it rained. And so I went over to my next-door neighbor, and I said, hey, uh, would you mow my yard for me uh, just one time? while I'm gone. Now, that wasn't an unusual ask because, again, there's a little bit of time to our friendship and we've shared favors like that before. And I'm not trying to take advantage of him, but he knows that by doing that for me that I'll turn around and help him uh, sometime this summer too. And so it's stuff like that that can contribute uh, to a friendship, a relationship that you're developing with a neighbor. And so what can you do for someone else? Uh, Or when you go out of town, I mean, can you ask someone else to help you out with your dog or to to water your flowers while you're gone? Again, I'm not talking about taking advantage of people here. Remember, it's about the relationship. I mean, we're committed to the friendship and we're genuine in this. And so I want to challenge you uh, to find ways to serve your neighbors. But would you consider maybe helping them find ways that they could serve you too? And again, not taking advantage of this. It's about contributing to the relationship. Uh, The fourth thing is this, be home. Now, I know this one might puzzle you a little bit at first, but if you're going to get to know your neighbor, uh, you're going to have to make an effort to be home. And some of us don't always do a very good job of this. And I I think one of the greatest ongoing challenges uh, that we're going to face as families, 
uh, in the days and in the years to come, is going to be stepping forward and finding ways to tell this high speed, you know, never at home, never sitting down at the dinner table kind of life that we're not interested and that we're going to choose a path, that we're going to choose another way, that family comes first, and it's okay to be at home at night, and it's okay to sit down and eat with your kids and your spouse and your friends and maybe get to know your neighbors in the process. Now, you may want your little girl to play in the World Cup soccer game one day, but if you lose a relationship with her or she loses her family in the process, uh, it's not going to mean anything at all. And I'll tell you that I've served two churches uh, prior to serving at Genesis Church, churches with a great passion for reaching the lost, but very, very, very busy churches. I mean, heavily programmed churches, churches that were doing something every single night of the week so that families were completely maxed out. Now, Genesis is a pretty simple church with a pretty simple mind, a model of ministry. It's one of the things that attracted me to this place. And I remember just a few years ago when I had first come on staff, uh, I was sitting down with another local pastor and he was asking me and listening, hey, how are things going for you in ministry? And I remember telling him, well, it's, it's hard. It's a little challenging. I've never done this before, and, but, but I'm having a good time. I'm really working hard, and, and there's a lot of effort going into this. But I'll tell you what, and this is what I shared with him. One of the things that's been most challenging to me is I'm used to having to be at church every night of the week for a meeting, for an event, or for a program, and it's just been a little different. I almost feel guilty that four to five nights a week I'm home with my family. And I'll always remember this. I'll never forget this. I remember him looking across the table at me. I don't think he pointed his finger, but I think he could have. And he said, what's wrong with that? He said, my friend, if I could share with you one thing. He says, it's not only to come alongside of your church and to teach them the Bible, but he says, you go teach them how to live too. He says, one of the greatest gifts that you could give to your wife, to your family, or to your neighborhood is to be at home with them. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'll never forget that he said that. I, I tell you that because I want you to notice, I don't want you to be at Genesis Church five, six nights a week, maybe even three or four, maybe once. I don't want you to be here every night a week because I want you to be at home. And I want you to get to know the people around you. And I want you to build relationships with them so that you can help people find their way back to God, so that you can be available to your family, but that you can be with these neighbors and these friends too. I, I believe that it's a part of our mission and it's so very important. Now, does that mean that I can't let my kid play baseball? No, I don't think it means that. I mean, we've got two boys that entered baseball this past year. It's tough. It's hard and because baseball is a little crazy here in Noblesville. But you know what? My wife and I, we didn't really discover this till the end of the season, unfortunately, but we're ready for it next year. We're going to make sure that we make baseball part of our ministry. So that as we're out and we're sitting with these new parents and these new friends, uh, that, that we're taking advantage of those times to build relationships, not only with those kids, as I serve as one of the volunteers, but just along the sidelines too. And so you can even take opportunities like that to build relationships. The last thing quickly, uh, share a meal. Uh, throw a barbecue. You know, going back to biblical times, sharing a, gr- a meal with someone uh, was a really big deal. I mean, if you follow Jesus, you'll follow a lot of the controversy uh, that some of these meals uh, that he shared with others created. And, and as you think about building relationships with other people, I want to invite you maybe as you leave today to think about sharing a meal with a neighbor. Is there a barbecue that you could put together where you could sit down with another family or a single mom or a single dad, inviting them over, sitting out, you know, even on the back deck. If you've got neighbors over, you can sit in the back, but you're sitting out in the back and, and maybe you're eating a chicken leg, not the same one, uh, you know, sharing a rack of ribs or something. Again, just investing in the relationship. 
You know, these five relational things that I'm giving you this morning, they may not seem like a big deal and you might walk away from here and you might continue in or you might put some of these to practice. And I hope and pray you see some results. But I have to tell you, it may take years before anything comes from them at all. But the question that I want to ask is, but would it be worth it? I mean, would it be worth it to to be sitting around the table one day and you're chewing on an ear of corn or something and you've got it all over your face and all over your hands and, and this guy who was once an unknown neighbor to you, who you could now say has actually become a genuine friend, a guy that you've never had a spiritual conversation with before up to this point, all of a sudden across the table from you says this, hey, can I ask you a question? How come it it seems that your marriage is so good and mine is so bad? Or that he says, hey, I know that you're out of work right now. Why is it that you seem to be doing okay with this and and just okay even with these uncertain times right now? I mean, it's these God-ordained moments when we've taken the time to invest in the relationship with nothing but genuine interest where the Holy Spirit sweeps in and is ready to take it to a whole different place. Would it be worth it? For a moment like that, you know, and I know what the fear is that when a moment like this comes up, you have no idea what you're going to say. And what's the doctrine of the Trinity again? And are there four laws or five laws or I should have gone to VBS? I should have learned a little bit more. Helping people find their way back to God doesn't mean that you have to be an expert in the Bible. Helping people find their way back to God just means that you're so much more concerned about the people around you than even your own uncertainty. Would it be willing, be worth the risk for you today, you know? And, and don't ever forget the words and the authenticity of, I don't know. I mean, rather than try and make something up or make up an answer for your neighbor, it's okay to say, I don't know. I use those words all the time. But I want to give you one thing, one scripture to reflect on before we close. A great verse to memorize, but even more important, uh, to be ready uh, to respond uh, in, in some moments and situations that come up. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, It says, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. I mean, have faith, you know, acknowledge in your own life that Jesus Christ is your good news and that everything is changed forever. And then this, always be prepared to give an answer to, uh, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I mean, can you do that? Are you ready to share with someone the hope that you have in your life? I mean, you know, so that if they say, hey, your church is growing, man. I drove by there the other day on the way to the grocery store. Your parking lot is packed. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Or I can really tell that there's something different about you since you started going to that church. I mean, what is it? What's going on? I mean, it's good, but always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Or, you know what? I was on Facebook the other day and I saw those pictures of you got baptized. And man, that expression on your face, is that a big deal for you? Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. You know, what's that kind of passion look like? Um, I did a funeral last Saturday for an older man. Um, Many of you know Jared Owens who goes to church here. It was his dad. And uh, his dad died a really tough death the last few weeks with cancer and Um, you know, Jared really made it a point to talk to his dad about his faith. And I know that it was something that was really challenging for him. And and even though his dad said, yeah, I I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. I know Jared was just a little unsettled by that. 
So the funeral was last Saturday, and um, there was a time of sharing within the service. And the very first man out of his seat got to the front and talked about how much he loved Tom and how great of a guy Tom was. But I love the words that came from his mouth. He said, I have to let you all know this because this is the most important thing I can share today. He said, just weeks before Tom died, I want to let you know that I got in his face. And I said, Tom, it's not enough for me to know that you believe in God. I just need to know that when I get to heaven one day, you're going to be there with me. And he said, with all the confidence, I want you all to know this morning that Tom found peace with God, and I am confident that I will see him, see my friend in heaven one day. Could each of us have a passion like that? A passion for those living around us, those in our own homes, those in our neighborhood, that we're just not satisfied knowing that someone might not be in heaven without us. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray that you would continue to show us what this looks like, what it means to help people find their way back to God. And and even this morning, as we think about what's it mean for me to love my neighbor. And and as we pray um, with your heads bowed, I I guess one of the things that I want to challenge you to think about is rather than necessarily even trying to get your mind around your whole neighborhood or all of the people that you know or all the people that you work with, is there one person? Would God put one name or one face on your mind this morning? And, And I would say that, Could that be enough for you right now to just say, you know, everything that I can, everything that that God will enable me to do, I'm going to pray, I'm going to act, I'm going to share in such a way uh, to really be a great influence to this person. God, show us what that looks like. Show us uh, the next steps to take even as we leave this place uh, and to have the faith to believe that all things are possible, that we can help people find the way back to God. And God, as we prayed last week, we pray again that you would give us a heart like yours to love as you love so that we can follow, we can follow you. We can live as Jesus would have lived, as he lived. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.